HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izette. From Fumetabari. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Love Bites is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now, and we will love, love, love you. Welcome to Love Bites, coming at you live from Heritage Radio Network. Today is Monday, August 1st. I'm one of your hosts, Jacqueline Raposo. I write about people who make food. You can find me as at wordsfoodart.com. I'm 35 straight and single. You're so old now. Oh, hush, you've got a week. I know. Uh, well, now I won't be 35, but I am your other host. For those of you who don't know me, Ben Rosenblatt. It's Rosenblatt. been a while since you've been here. It's welcome been so back. long. Thank you for the warm welcome. I am an actor, writer, occasional bartender, and server. You can check me out at BenRosenblattActor.com. I am 33 still, straight, and not, not currently single. single. We've got so much to talk about. Later in the show, we're going to be joined by Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg of University Hospital's Case Medical Center. We're going to talk to her about why some of us get particularly frisky in the summer. I don't know who you're talking I about. Know, I don't know. <laughs> and how a lack of libido affects women and men alike. But uh, first, let's quickly start off the show with the best thing we ate this week so that we can talk about Ooh, food since we are a food radio station. God, I love food. Why don't you go first? Um, I... So my girlfriend uh, is girlfriend. a my girlfriend. Your yeah, girlfriend. Aww. Aww. she is a subscriber to Blue Apron. Oh, fun! Yes, um, and so we have had a couple like really great meals this week. But the best one was this like buttermilk uh, fried chicken biscuit sandwich <sighs> with a collard green and like ginger carrot. Slaw. That sounds good. And it was like mouthwatering. That sounds really good. Yeah. 
That sounds really good. Um, I did not make mine this week. I've not been cooking much, so I went to Spain for a couple of days. Oh, just just a quick trip to Spain, you know. It was actually a little surreal that I flew for a day to be there for two days to fly back for a day. You must have had, like, so many great meals there. I had so many great meals, but the best thing I had was at Arola Restaurant. It's it's in the Hotel Arts in Barcelona, and it's uh, Sergei Arola's menu, but it was Mauro Cicciarelli, who's the chef de cuisine there. Cicciarelli. Cicciarelli. I don't know why. I said it like in Italian. No, it is Italian. I did have to ask him. Um, He's he's not from Spain or Italy, but uh, an incredible, incredible cook, lovely person. We worked together a little bit uh, there for a piece coming out for Savor. But the best, like the thing that I ate in the entire weekend that I wanted to keep on eating was his creamy basil rice. It was part of the tasting menu that he just kept sending out dishes. But they use a lot of their own herbs, and it's sort of a modernist cuisine menu, but everything was both... Everything was beautiful, and I was like, oh, this isn't going to taste as good as it looks. And everything was so poignantly flavored. And this creamy basil rice, like, I, it was so, so basil and so fresh and bright that I ate the entire serving of what was served to me versus everything else. I was dining alone. Like, I would eat. I couldn't eat everything that was sure. served to me. This one, I ate every bite, and I... Two days ago, when I was not feeling well in bed, I was like, "I just want creamy basil rice." It was delicious. So oh, that yeah, is, that so a roller restaurant so the best in the hotel arts. Food you had in Spain was Italian food. I guess sort of. I don't know. Yeah, it was just. Did good. you have any Spanish food? I did. Noting? I had. I mean, I had. I had the best tortilla of my life at Le Eggs Restaurant. It's Paco Perez Restaurant. Um, best best egg I've had in my life was the t- just tortilla with mushrooms. Um, wow. Yeah. It was really, that really good. That sounds awesome. And yeah. did you have any, like, romantic... Uh, no. Uh, no? No, nothing? I worked no my Spanish ass off. Spanish lovers? No, I worked my ass off. I was only there for two days, and I'm still exhausted. I got back Tuesday, and I'm still exhausted. Um, I did a lot of interviews. I'm doing a market piece. I went to four markets. I walked a shitload. Learned a lot about Gaudi. Um, I had a great trip, but it was it was a lot of work. You're sitting up too straight. Let's get you a pillow and have you lay back <laughs> a little bit. Anywho, you know? let's start talking about some of these things going on in our lives. So, um, so Ben, you're in a relationship. I turned 35 across the world. Uh, let's talk. So, what what have you been dealing with? What have you learned about yourself recently? With we've talked on the show about you transitioning to the idea of being in a relationship. So, what feels like a big win for you, or like a hard win for you, over the I mean, past couple I, of weeks? I don't know that I have any like things that I would consider lifelong victories yet, but I have things that I am like improving on and that are probably things that for you are me perfect ben you don't need to improve on anything i'm just kidding <laughs> I'm perfect you are perfect oh, good. In my then, eyes. all right then what are you working on <laughs> <laughs> okay um, uh no uh i i would just say that for me i think the things that i am working on in my life are probably going to be the things that i'm working on for the rest of my life or for like a lot what? of my life like um well i'm working on right now the i i think for a long time, I've been waiting for things to come into my life that will help me realize what I want instead mm. of deciding what I want oh. and making a choice and taking it. Right. Uh, because I, I don't really, I don't know how to know exactly what I want. Follow your heart is sort of a like, for example, relationship in a relationship like. I was waiting for someone to come into my life who was going to be the like person who I would know for right certain and, that yeah. I wanted and that, like, it would make commitment, which is a challenge for me, feel easy. And I am coming to grips with the fact that that is not probably... In this circumstance happening. Well, I just, feel like it does happen for a lot of people, which is why we have that instinct to be like, oh, when I meet the person, it'll like even nothing is perfect, but it'll it'll feel right. And, and we'll work at the things that we need to work on because it'll feel 
Yes, right. but I think even for those people, they probably know on some level or want on some level, a re- like they know that they want a right. relationship right. that is going to last a long, long time. I don't even like... Know that that's necessarily true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like it could be true. And, right. But anything could be true. I could want... I could see... I could fantasize about many, many different lives. I could see myself going down many, many different paths. And I've been, like I said, waiting for something or someone or, um, you know, a sign of some kind to tell me which path to go down. And I don't think I'm ever going to find that. I think I have to choose a path. And so you and then, chose a path? And so while I'm choosing... So far, Being this relationship it. with my girlfriend, with your girlfriend. Um, and that has presented, it's like confronted me with many things inside myself and challenges, but it's also been rewarding in many ways. What's been the biggest reward? Um, there are several reward, rewards uh, that are large. Uh, one is that it's nice to Listeners, have... He has this like little smirk sort of on it. Like they're just the, the corners of your mouth turned up a little bit and your eyes just sort of glistened and it's really nice to see. Oh. Yeah. When well, I thank asked you. I enjoy that. I, I, so I girlfriend, nice if you're you listening, there is a... Yeah, there's a glint in his eyes, girlfriend. Um, I mean, one is that it's great to have like a person who's my person, you know, mm-hmm. who's like... By the way, when did we all start saying my person? I feel like in the past year, I never heard that. And then a couple months ago, people were just like, oh, he's not my person or she's not my person. Like, when did this become? I don't know. I got it from a friend of mine who I didn't know that everyone said it, but I got it from a friend of mine. Right. I, I didn't know that everybody said it until mine. a friend said it. And now I'm hearing everybody say it. So listeners, if you have an idea who started this whole my person thing. I credit my jargon. friend Emily with it, even uh, though it's probably not her, but I heard it her. from her first. All right. So it's nice to have your person. Yeah, it is. It's great to have like a person who's my confidant and my closest right. friend and also lover and person who I like get to tell Am all I these amazing things to and then have her. great sex with. I'm so jealous of the girlfriend. You are. It's like different, Jacqueline. Don't come on. Prices. Don't pit yourself against her. I know. I'm that's not just, pitting myself against her. I just don't want to be special. You me. are so beyond special. That's why we're celebrating our birthdays together. We are tonight Today, with yes, drink and food and all sorts of stuff. What are you working on? What are you working? Like, when this, tur- this totally turned. No, like, but about, I interrupted like, the, you because I made it about me show. when it's about you, and you should be celebrating that she is your closest friend. So I selfishly made it about me in that moment, but it's just because I love you that much. Well, I love you too, and that's um, why I'm asking you what you're working on oh, these okay days. so my so today was supposed to be the day that i was going to go back on social media and i did check in with it last night when i was like all right it's time and i checked in with it and i was debating about continuing on with it for 90 days because now my biggest win is that it's been a really phenomenal 40 days i've been happier i have felt more connected with human beings i have felt more connected with absence of something to do that when i'm walking my dog i'm not checking social media so i don't even bring my phone half the time there's no reason for me like i don't play games on my phone so other than talking texting or checking email i don't really have a reason to be looking at like i don't i'm not gonna be browsing websites you know other than checking the weather when i'm walking my dog or sitting none of us do we're all just addicts right so yeah like i didn't realize how addicted to like how much of just a habit it had become And so going off of it was hard to begin with, but then it became extremely fulfilling that like I was stuck in the airport in Sweden for hours coming back from Spain and I was not bored or sad or and it was my birthday. So I was like traveling the entire day of my birthday and it wasn't like, oh, I can't check Facebook to see what people are saying. And I can't like people I had Internet. So people were texting me and emailing me. And were you getting um, notifications from Facebook? No, because I turned all that stuff off. Okay, So I hadn't been at all. That would be tempting, right? No, I didn't. 
I guess maybe, but like in general, the past 40 days, it's sort of um, amplified the good things happening and also made me face the absence. Like when I'm sick at, at home and alone, I have to face the fact that I'm sick and home and by myself rather than looking for this false sense of connection with people. And I actually feel a lot more connected and feel that makes a lot like of sense. I, I face the bad things more honestly. And, but even more so than that, I'm just reveling in good things. Like I'm having better conversations. Friends are calling me. I'm calling friends. We're emailing each other. Um, plenty of people reached out to me on my birthday, you know, like it's not like, it's not like that got taken away in traveling. I was taking pictures and not spending the time to post them to Instagram. So I was just taking a picture to capture it and then continuing on. I wasn't, there was nothing pulling me to this little machine. And so I'm going to keep on going and doing it for 90 days. And can you point to any challenges or drawbacks or anything that's like a negative about definitely with work? It's harder that like when I, when I did go on yesterday, I realized that like I had lost around the same amount of Twitter followers that I would have lost anyway. And then I gained a lot too. So that sort of was normal. But like my, um, the, I forget what they, how they call it on Facebook, but just like the engagement, the, the, yeah, the engagement of people with my pieces was lower like on your um, business Facebook, on my one. business Facebook yeah. page, and then on Twitter, like there just wasn't. At, I mean, like there was a crap load of people who had followed or unfollowed or who had retweeted stuff, but I didn't care honestly. Like when I went on, like I didn't find it as fun as I thought it would. It was more like I just found myself being on it and not wanting to be on it. So, what's the next step in your? Uh, no shopping today. Starting today, no superfluous shopping. So if I need toothpaste or shampoo, but I can't buy like I went to the Strand today with my friend Rose, who's in the studio right now, and I could not buy myself a book. And I can't go buy lipstick or shoes or... I'm going to tempt you with I'm sure. Things. It's going to be hard. It's gonna, like... I think this is going to be harder than social media. So for 90 days, I can't buy anything other than essentials, including food, which is going to be a hard thing for me. Like I bought squash blossoms at the farmer's market the other day, knowing that I probably wasn't going to have the energy to cook them, but I wanted them. So I bought them. Now, with this with this form of abstinence, I will not buy them. What is going to be the toughest thing for you not to go shopping for? I don't know. I hadn't thought. Like, are you a big like? What do you shop for normally? Like, what do you tiny, tiny little things that feel special? Like Like trinkets? No, like a body lotion, a bubble bath, a lipstick, a new like something small. It's never anything big. Um, Yeah, it's silly girly stuff. Can you buy (laughs) presents for other people? I can buy presents for other people. You do. You do, and I'm going to Portugal for three weeks, and so I'm going to be buying presents. Yeah, there's all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so that so yeah, and so oh, also listeners, I just bought the URL myyearofabstinence.com because I'm going to be doing different things throughout the rest of the year, and I'm going to start putting my journals about the social media. Notice stuff on. how sex is not on the list. I just am pointing sex out sex is absolutely um, on the list. That's what my roommate said. She's like, well, if you say abstinence, people are going to think you're not having sex. It's like, well, I'm not having sex anyway because I've also been off dating apps for the past forty days. So. Yeah, so Jacqueline. Is I think not you can find a that. sex partner in real life. I should. That we should sh- find you one at night when we're out, like for our birthdays, and we're like after we're like I have not six or seven drinks deep. I'm not adverse to that. I'm gonna idea. start like it's been a while. Calling I do guys get, over for you, and I do get Randy in the summers as we're going to talk about with Doctor Kinsberg after the break. Um, but before we get to that, uh, next season we are sort of switching up how we produce love bites. We're sort of coming up with these awesome topics, and what we'll, that'll be doing over the course of a couple weeks, and then bringing guests on to speak about that. It's getting that. 
much better, folks. I'm so excited about this idea. So, like, in October, we're going to have, you know, psychics and tarot readers on. We're going to do a whole series about uh, technology and relationships. During the holidays, we're going to have people of different religious ordinances coming on to talk about how their religions speak to relationships. But um, we'd love to hear from you guys about what you really like about our interviews and what you think we might be able to focus on a little bit more. Um, Do you like the takeaways that we give as far as things that you can try out at home? Would you rather us just focus on the individuals and getting their opinions just as human beings a little bit less about their profession? Uh, If you could give us some insight as we craft our next season starting in September, I would really appreciate that. You can email email us at lovebitesradio at gmail.com. Since I'm not going to be on Facebook and Twitter for a while, that's probably the best way to get to us. Uh, But yeah, we really appreciate it. So um, stick around because after the break, we are coming back with Dr. Cheryl Kinsberg. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit TabardIn.com. Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg wanted to be the next Joan Rivers. Instead, she turned her love of comedy and warm humor to the field of medicine, Believing that separating physical care from psychological care does patients a disservice, she intertwines cognitive behavioral therapy and psychology with treatment for women working through postpartum depression, infertility, cancer, and sexual dysfunction. Dr. Kingsburg is the chief of the Division of Behavioral Medicine, Department of OBGYN at University Hospital's Case Medical Center in Cleveland, Ohio, and we are so excited to have her on the show today. Welcome to Love Bites, Dr. Kingsburg. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I just want to start off by asking because Jacqueline mentioned <laughs> it earlier and she's getting a little uh, I get rosy cheeked right now. Yeah. Is there any sort of scientific explanation as to why many people get friskier in hotter weather? Well, we don't have any accurate scientific data to explain that, but there are some pretty good reasons why people seem to have higher sex drive in warmer weather. First of all, think about what you wear. I don't know what you have on at this very minute. I'll try not to imagine. Uh, But I have a sleeveless top on, as opposed to the middle of winter when I will have a turtleneck, a sweater, a flannel, and when it's uh, time to go to bed, I climb under several layers of uh, covers. So that, you know, if you just think about what we're wearing, we're a little bit more alluring. We have a little bit more skin to show. Uh, We tend to uh, feel sexier with less clothes on. But it's always within context because too much of a good thing is not a good thing. If it's 100 degrees out and humid, the last thing we want is to get too close to somebody. So there is sort of the ideal temperature where we feel sexy, want to take our clothes off instead of uh, jumping under warm flannel sheets. That's the most likely explanation. 
Do you know what that temperature? I just want to know what that average is as far as what. What are the, the tipping point? What are the odds? Yeah, like what are the what's the best time to be like? Chances are I'm going to get lucky. <laughs> Um, you know, it varies from person to person because it depends on what climate you're used to. And it also, you know, we talk about a dry heat versus humidity. So it really is very variant. Um, but let's just say as humans, we tend not to uh, like things above 90 degrees. And certainly as somebody in Cleveland, Ohio, I'm perfectly happy if it's not under 70 so that's the uh, that's the Kingsburg level, uh, but it does vary from person to person. Gentlemen, just uh... <laughs> just so you know. Um, well, let's let's flip to the polar opposite. What about those of us with low libidos? Um, aside from things that we can sort of expect, like going through an illness or aging, how much of the way in which we are or are not drawn to having a higher a high sex drive is hardwired in us genetically? Well, I won't say it's genetic, although there probably are some genetic explanations. There are biologic underpinnings, whether or not it's specifically DNA-driven, hard to know. But we're all born with a certain level of drive. Some of us have really high drive. Every day would barely be enough. Some of us once a week, some of us once a month, and some of us every leap year would probably be the range. And when we think about what's, what's normal, it's what's normal for us. So if you have low drive and you're not bothered by it, that's your normal and we wouldn't pathologize it, we wouldn't label it. If you're distressed by it because you used to have good drive or you would like to have better drive, then we would think about treating it. But but some of that sort of basic drive, just like our other drives of, of hunger for food, um, you know, some of us, I could eat ice cream every day and some of us would be perfectly fine once a week. So there's a range. Men on average, tend to have a little higher drive as a population than women do, but that also varies because I certainly see lots of of heterosexual couples who come in with the opposite, but it, it does vary, and we all are born with a certain biologic, basic sort of baseline level. So when patients come to you about having what they feel is a low sex drive, is it coming from a place of an, a feeling of inadequacy in their relationships or because of what they think they how they think they should be performing or is it because like you'd said some people aren't bothered by having a low sex drive so is it really about sort of feeling like they're doing something wrong or are abnormal or is it a lot about a personal struggle that they do want to change it takes a lot for a woman to seek help for having low desire. We don't acknowledge women's sexuality very well. It's only been in the last few years that women have been sort of told by our culture that it's uh, appropriate and okay to claim their sexuality. So women are not driven to me or to their healthcare professionals uh, because of a, a sort of a cultural norm that says you should want this. And I get a lot of a lot of backlash that says, you know, by virtue of saying we have treatments for female sexual dysfunctions and low sexual desire, you're automatically telling women they should. And I don't need to tell women they should. They come in absolutely devastated when they had drive and they've lost it. These are women who want to want, and they are absolutely devastated by the fact that they've lost it. This is something they want very much. How do you explain oftentimes the loss of it? What is... Is, it a bio- is that a biological thing as well? Is it a mental thing? Is it a combination? 
it is a it well there is a combination we you know it's a big word but we consider sexual desire to be based on a biopsychosocial concept that is there are psychological factors and biologic factors that contribute to one's sexual desire for both men and women. And so when there is a problem, when there's a change in sexual desire, we look at at both areas to see what could be the, the underlying source. So for some women, it really is a neurochemical change that we know, just like with depression, uh, there are neurotransmitters that impact um, mood, and so it, they also impact desire. And in fact, it's a nice model to consider because when you think about what the, what the chief complaints are of depression, they, it is a, a loss of interest in things that used to bring you pleasure and the loss of motivation to do things that are otherwise rewarding. So when we think about low desire, low sexual desire, it's essentially the same thing except related to sex. The loss of interest in something that used to bring you pleasure and the loss of motivation to seek out something that is otherwise rewarding. So that's a neurochemical issue. We also know that hormones are related to sexual desire. So some women may experience change in hormones, some in neurochemistry, and also on the psychological aspect, certainly uh, relationship factors. You could have all the biological drive in the world, but if you don't like your partner, uh, you're not necessarily going to want to sleep with that person. So there are, or if you're stressed by work, or you know, if you are uh, feeling um, depressed by other things, those are factors that contribute to loss of desire on the psychological aspect. So they are combinations, and it really doesn't take much for a good clinician to be able to tease out what are the components that are being affected, so that gears what treatment might look like. Mm. Um, so outside of reproducing, which is, you know, one of the main biological needs of, or the biological functions of sex and pleasure, are there any others? Is there, why do, why do human beings, what is it about us that when we start to feel a lower sex drive that it bothers us so much? I mean, yes, it's a pleasure that we're missing out on. How does wrapped up is that in our, like our identity and all of that? Well, you've just answered a lot of the of the of your own question, which is uh, sexuality uh, impacts our, our entire quality of life. So, is there do we need it to survive? Absolutely not. Other than for, you know for procreation and actually uh, working in a fertility practice, we don't even need it for for, uh, for procreation either. <laughs> right. However, um, we we enjoy sexuality, and so and if you didn't enjoy it in the first place and now it's gone, then it's not distressing to you. And that's not a problem. But uh, we, it, it certainly can impact our health because um, good sex leads to feeling better about ourselves. It's actually a nice way to burn some calories. Um, it gives us be better self-esteem. And I can show you in the opposite, we have good data, and I've published some data showing the impact of low sexual desire or the loss of sexual desire on self-esteem, on mood, on relationships, on body image, on communication within the relationship. So, uh, Sexual problems has, has have a much bigger impact well outside the bedroom than just having an impact on sexuality. 
Is there, um, just to sort of con- to, to re-ask this question in a slightly different way, um, I we've talked on the show how I'm not going to have children. I don't plan to. I can't, but I also don't want to. And I've read studies about how because of not having children, I'm potentially at a higher risk for having breast cancer. I don't know exactly how true that is, but I've read that in several things. So is there is there that kind of connection for ha- for not having sex on a biological level that like, oh, if you don't <laughs> if you don't orgasm regularly or you don't have, you know, that that type of, you know, those those things that fire up in your brain when you're having sex, that there's an effect on something like, I don't know, your, your metabolism or your serotonin or your whatever. Is there any sort of connection in that way to the act of having sex? No, no. And when you're thinking about (laughs) being a a nulliparous woman or somebody who's never had a pregnancy, it's not even having the children, it's having the pregnancy that is actually the the risk factor. So early, uh, having early onset of menarche um, and late uh, onset of menopause. So it's all about uh, ovulation and hormones and not necessarily having children. Oh, that makes me Um, feel better. Thank you. That can drive you crazy maybe, but but no. Okay. that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so for those who, who are, for those of our listeners who might not know, what exactly is hypoactive sexual desire disorder? Listeners, that's HSDD. Um, and who does it most commonly affect? Well, hypoactive sexual desire disorder is the sexual dysfunction that relates to the persistent loss of sexual desire. So um, not not thinking about it, not wanting it, um, not being interested in it, not having sexual thoughts, fantasies, uh, the hunger for sexuality. So that's the definition along with the key component of having distress by it. So being personally distressed is what keys in whether you meet the criteria for a diagnosis. So we would never diagnose somebody who ha- has no desire or who has lost their desire who's not bothered by it. Um, and, and I know that some people get confused by the concept of causing personal versus interpersonal distress. Interpersonal distress really is the downstream effect of having loss of desire because what we know is that when sex is good in a relationship, it's good. It adds some value. But when sex is bad or non-existent, it plays an inordinately powerful role draining many relationships relationships of, of good intimacy. So what I see in my practice are, are, you know, women can come in and say, you know, I've been in other relationships before and we had great sex, but that wasn't enough to, you know, to keep us together. You know, when I, when I found out maybe they were a Republican or they were a Democrat, that was it. No matter how good the sex, that was it. Uh, but, but what I see are couples who come in and say everything else in my relationship is good, but we're struggling with our sexuality and that has a huge impact, but really it's the key of personal distress. The women who come in say, I want my sex drive back. I want to want it back. And that's the key for HSDD or hypoactive sexual desire disorder. How do we look at this? You mentioned, you know, couples coming in. How do we look at, and you also mentioned earlier that we look at women and men differently as far as their sex drive. Um, So when talking about treatment, like people have talked, been talking about Viagra for a long time and um, and we could say that it unfairly puts pressure on men to be sexually active, you know, even as as they age and that we sort of question virility for men differently than women. But um, why do you think there's been less attention to this aspect of sexuality for women compared to men regarding sex drive? 
For a couple of reasons. First of all, Viagra, or the PD-5 inhibitor, so Viagra, Cialis, uh, Levitra, uh, have been around since 1998. So, you know, uh, 18 years, 17 years, they've been around. Uh, and prior to that, uh, you know, men with erectile dysfunction were told, guess what, it's all in your head. It wasn't mm -hmm. until we had pharmacologic options that we recognized that there were biological factors that we could treat to help these men. Uh, and so... And also, our culture has really had a double standard when it's come to sexuality. We've thought about men as uh, being entitled to their sexuality, and women, it's really been underground. It's our cultural determination of what's okay and what's normal. Women's sexuality really has gone underground. Women who like sex were, were often labeled as sort of nymphomaniacs. So it's only been in the last several years that we have sort of um, normalized the idea that women are entitled to a healthy sexual life. We've also had no pharmacologic treatments. We've had psychotherapy for a long time. Look, I'm a psychologist. I, I, I treat low sexual desire, and I, uh, I've been treating women with sexual problems for a long time. And hypoactive sexual desire disorder, by the way, is the most common female sexual dysfunction, whereas premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction, which are related to the physiology of, of, you know, of the penis. So it's, it's way more, uh, you know, um, south than, than and, uh, HSDD, which is really in one's head because the most important sex organ is in the brain. And it's been harder to develop uh, treatments for female sexual dysfunction, but we now have the first approved pharmacologic op option for, a for HSDD, which opens the door for many physicians who otherwise were uncomfortable talking about it to now address sexual concerns of their patients because we do know it's a biopsychosocial model. Some women will respond to just like with depression, psychotherapy, some will respond to a pharmacologic option, and some will benefit from the combination. And it's nice to have options for these women who otherwise were left sort of adrift, not knowing where to go if they had a sexual concern. They didn't know who to ask. Do we know what causes HSDD? Well, given that there are biopsychosocial concepts, there is not one cause. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So there are psychological aspects that might be contributing to low sexual desire, like the relationship issues. Um, but really, um, for the true condition of HSDD, which actually rules out relationship factors, um, it is likely either a neurochemical imbalance and or some hormonal changes. Um, so, so there are a variety of underlying biologic causes. So because women aren't as openly conditioned to talk about their sexual lives, what would you say to women who are agonizing over their low sex drive to help them, you know, sort of come out to their OBGYN and ask for help? What, what's a piece of advice for them or a comforting word for them? I would say that this is so important to your life. You are entitled to a healthy sexual life, and your OBGYN or your primary care um, health care professional, whether it's your physician or nurse practitioner, really is the first person who is responsible for your sexual health. The World Health Organization has really put it into the laps of the, the health care professional to take care of women's, women and men's sexual lives, and so that you're entitled to get this treatment 
patient, you're entitled to ask. And if you feel like your healthcare professional is uncomfortable, then find another one because it is so important to your overall quality of life that you should be entitled to get this treated. Now, you shouldn't have to be the one to ask. You shouldn't. Your healthcare professional should be asking you what sexual concerns do you have, and if they're not opening the door, you should feel free to open it for them. And if you're uncomfortable with that, find a healthcare professional who will. I want to add an amen onto that. That was delightful. Thank you, Dr. Kingsburg. Um, before we let you go, uh, we started the show talking about, since we are a food radio station, uh, just talking about the best thing that Ben and I ate this past week. Do you have just something delicious that you uh, dined out eating or ate at home that you want to share with us? I certainly do. I had mentioned earlier that I have a higher drive for ice cream than than many other people. I in Cleveland, we have Mitchell's ice cream, which is probably the most delicious ice cream you'll ever have and uh, if you weren't going to come to Cleveland for any other reason, it would be a great reason to come and I had one of their most phenomenal hot fudge sundaes because it's homemade hot fudge. <sighs> homemade marshmallow, that warm, gooey marshmallow on top it with the best homemade ice cream you have ever had. You have to come. It really is orgasmic. Well, that actually, I was just going to ask, are there any foods in your opinion that are good for the libido? Well, I just gave you mine. Um, it's, a, it's a top secret. Uh, but, uh, but Not anymore. Uh, whatever makes you feel good. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We appreciate you being on the show with us today. You were a great, great, informative guest. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. This is such a fascinating topic. I hope that we're going to hit on this again. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Kingsburg. My Uh, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Listeners, you can find more about Dr. Kingsburg's work on Twitter at at Cheryl Kingsburg and links to her uh, website at University Hospitals Case Medical Center on our website, lovebitesradio.com. That is our show for today. Uh, Next week, we're changing it up. We've got sommelier and author Diane McMartin of This Calls for a Drink calling into the show. And she's going to share the perfect wine to pair with things like heartbreak growing into adulthood the strong ones whatever has the highest <laughs> alcohol content um hurricane parties or embarrassing yourself in the great outdoors things like that her book is very fun we're excited to have her on until then thanks as always to our beautiful engineer pierre our theme song is give love by josh dion and we are jacqueline Raposo and ben rosenblatt we'll be back at the same time next week here at heritage radio network.org later For listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.